Anthony is a husband and a father. He lives in Canada. His kidneys were failing, and he was in desperate need of a donor. He was even on the local news with his wife and daughter, hoping to find someone who was a match and willing to give up a kidney. A BC family is calling on strangers tonight to step up and help save a loved one's life as their health continues to decline. CTV's Craig Krause has more on the family's journey and the road ahead to find an organ donor. Every step Anthony Lynch takes becomes more difficult by the day. The once vibrant and energetic father and husband has been reduced to a shell of himself as his body deteriorates from kidney failure. I, to be honest, I feel like death. I've never really felt like this in my life, and I, I remember when they said that I would have some kidney problems, there'd be symptoms coming. I never thought they'd be like this. Initially diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2018, the 50-year-old says he was told that his kidneys would decline over the coming year, but he remained working and living a normal life until late last year. Since December, things have tailed off really, really quick, and it's just sort of, uh, it's just kind of a living hell at the moment. His feet had swollen three times in size at least. He had a hard time walking, and he was admitted to Surrey Memorial. Since then, the family says he's undergone several procedures and emergency dialysis, all in an effort to regain his life and be there for his nine-year-old daughter. Just, it's really upsetting that he can't come to my competition. Seeing other skaters on my team with their dads is just really upsetting. And as she nears her 10th birthday, she only has one wish. I really want a donor. Now the race is on to find a kidney donor that could save Anthony's life, but he's not alone. According to the Provincial Health Services Authority, as of December 1st, there was 421 people waiting for a kidney in BC, all waiting for that one person they will match with in order to save their lives. If you're out there and, and you want to make a difference to a family, you know, please do it. Adults in BC may choose to donate a kidney to someone they know, on behalf of someone they know, or can donate anonymously through BC Transplant. Almost anyone can donate a kidney, but to donate to a specific recipient, you have to be tested to find out if you're a match, to see if your kidney is likely to work when it's in the other person's body. My guest today is Stacy. She also lives in Canada and she wanted to give Anthony one of her kidneys, even though they had never met. Real people in unreal situations. There is a girl hanging by her broken leg from the telephone wire. And I called 911 and I said, I found a baby. I turned around. I see a gun pointed at me close enough I could touch it. She would hold our heads underwater all the time. He levels the gun, pulls the trigger, and I go down. Her eyes were full of tears. She didn't want to leave us. My hair catches on fire. I swear to God, this, is, this image is burning my head for the rest of my life. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? You told me that you've thought about donating a kidney for years, but, you know, honestly, for most average people, that's just not something you think about, which is actually one of the reasons we're doing this episode. Do you remember what first made you consider doing this? I think 
because of my career in healthcare, it's been in the back of my mind. And I signed up for donor at age 16 for in case something happens to me. Organ donor. Organ donor. And I think with our, our where I live in Vancouver, Canada, that was kind of an automatic, do you want to sign up? It goes automatically on your license. So it's always been in the back of my head, but I never knew about living donors until probably about 10 years ago. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Maybe that's something I could do. Because I've never had children, I thought, well, that, that would be a good way to kind of give give life without <laughs> having to birth life. So it's always been in the back of my mind, but never anything serious. I never did any investigating on it or looking into what it takes to do that. I think that's the way a lot of people think. It's like, man, you know, I really should do that one of these days. But you just never, you never get around to it, sort of. No, exactly. Life is busy. Life mm-hmm. is busy. Yep. Now, there were a few factors that went into this. You know the importance of donating blood because of your profession, but you, I understand, pass out at the sight of your own blood. Yeah, it's not pretty. I, uh, I, I remember, I think I chopped the tip of my finger off once and it wouldn't stop bleeding. And at the time, my husband just, he had to leave and go to work. And I was like, please don't leave me. I'm going to pass out. Do I need an ambulance? And, and I was fine. I had to lay down. And when I went to the doctor to see if I needed stitches, he went to pull the bandaid off. And I said, before you do that, if you pull it off and it starts bleeding, I'm going to pass out. And he said, okay, let's just leave that. Let's leave it. You're going to be okay. Do you faint at the sight of other people's blood? Um, I get woozy. I probably would if there was a lot. I remember at one time I wanted to, I thought about getting into nursing because I had nursing friends in my 20s. And this is why I go in, I went into paperwork. I'm administration part of the hospital, not the, not the nursing part. Because yeah, it, it doesn't, I'm not good with fluids and, and blood. In your job, if you see blood, something has gone terribly wrong. Correct. <laughs> Bleeding noses I can handle. Anything beyond that, I think uh, we need a professional. You also described yourself as a slight hypochondriac. Yeah. What does that, what does that look like? So I work at the BC Cancer Center. And before that, I worked at Vancouver General Hospital as a clerk for five years. So my whole career has been in medical. So I think working at the Cancer Center, you automatically jump to that worst scenario. Anytime there, you know, you get a headache or you get an ache and definitely a hypochondriac. Uh, I would go to the doctor. Well, I don't go, I don't, harass the doctor, but I will go to the doctor if I think something's seriously wrong with me. So it it's hard for me to tolerate, I think, medical procedures as well. I just think, oh, what are they going to find? But here I am. I've worked 27 years at the cancer center. So I've survived it and I'm I cope pretty well now. It took probably about 10 years into my career where I'm like, okay, wait a second. I can handle this anxiety and this hypochondria don't jump to that conclusion. I mean, you work at a place where people show up with the thought in their mind, oh no, what are they going to find? Exactly. Yeah. I've met a lot of friends, colleagues, friends, patients that have become friends through my career. So 
my dad always said, you're on the right side of the desk, just, you know, live life to the fullest and, and do what you can and be your part to help. Speaking of colleagues and friends, you, you have a friend slash coworker, Letitia, who she also plays a part in this story. And you guys have kind of a similar uh, condition anxiety. We both have anxiety and it's medically related most of the time. She's a young nurse and I overheard her one day just speaking to another colleague about her anxiety and kind of her symptoms and exactly mirrored my anxiety completely. So I remember sending her a private email message just saying, if you ever need to talk, and she took that up. We had coffee and we became fast friends. We live in the same area. So we would commute together to work and we would talk and we shared a lot of the same things. And I think she helped me and I helped her and we're really good friends now. Yeah. It sounds like it was like instant chemistry. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. She's a younger version of me. A hundred percent. I want to talk about how this got started. The, what, how you got started down this path. And it was from a post on Facebook. What was that? Yeah. An, a prior colleague, a nurse that I worked with, I'm going to call it in the lower mainland, which is considered the Vancouver area. She shared a post of a wife looking for a kidney for her husband. Because it was in the back of my mind, I took the time. I read the post. It was a long post. It was a sad post. They have a, a young daughter and they'd also, I think about 10 years ago, had lost a child at, I think it was 27 days old. So I just, I felt for this family and thought, I can't leave this mother and child without trying to see if I could donate to her husband. So from that post, I emailed our transplant coordinator that she'd posted and that started the process. I find it so interesting. You know, when you post something like that on Facebook, there might be a hundred people that see it or a thousand people that see it and just keep scrolling like, oh, I hope they find somebody. But yeah. in your case, you saw it and you immediately personalized it like, hmm, can I help this person? Yeah. That's that's an unusual reaction. And But you said it, there was something about a photo of the man with his daughter. What was that picture? And what, why did that? Yeah. What did that instigate in you? It was Anthony, my recipient, hugging his daughter on, on the beach. And it's one of their favorite places that they go to. I think it has special meaning for them. Just looking at that picture of him hugging her. And I knew I had to do something. I felt, oh, it's a young father. He has a child. I've never had children. This is my time. I remember reading people reacting to the post and saying, I'll go test, I'll go test. And I thought, well, I'm going to throw my name in too, because if I can't help him, maybe I can help somebody else. What's the first step that you took? They had an, a contact number and a case number and his name. And I sent an email to the coordinator at the hospital and I just said, I saw this post. This is the recipient. What do I do? What's my next step? I had absolutely no idea. And is this, the, when you say the hospital, is that the same place where you work? 
where I used to work. So the the hospital and where they're from is Vancouver, Canada, and I'm going to call that the lower mainland. In 2017, my husband and I moved to about four hours away from the lower mainland in the interior in Kelowna. So all the transplants are done in the lower mainland, done by two hospitals down there. So this was one of the hospitals that I contacted. Right away, they send you a blood test and they say, this is an important blood test. It's to test at the same time the recipient has to go for a blood test. And I believe it's a histocompatibility test. And he has to go the same day. I have to go to the same day. They send, I guess it's for blood typing. And um, we see if we're a match, if we're compatible. And if we are, we go on to the next step. And that's more than just saying, okay, my blood type is A negative and yours is the same, so we're a match. There's a lot more that goes into it, right? Yeah. I remember her sending me a message later on saying the subtype of my histocompatibility. And yeah, I don't know the language, but we it turned out we were a perfect match. It wasn't just my blood type would work with his. We were exactly the same. Nice. Another sign that you're on the right path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then begins the testing process and there's some paperwork involved. Yeah, the questionnaire was very extensive. I counted there was 18 pages. They want to know absolutely everything about you, complete detail, medical history, past travel, everything in your past vaccinations. So sent that off and at, at every step they say, you've passed this section, are you sure you want to move on to the next? They always are making sure you're not being persuaded or paid or just making sure that, yes, you're willing to go on to the next step. So sent in all my pages and came more blood tests. And for the blood test, were you able to do this at your location? I was. Okay, good. So you didn't have to travel all the time. No, no. There, I think I counted about 15 vials of blood at one point. And you know how much I love blood. <laughs> so <laughs> I think they gave me a cookie and a drink after. So I was okay. Yeah, there was a, a lot, of, lot of blood tests just to make sure. And I think um, a lot of urine tests to make sure the kidneys are functioning okay as well. So that was the first, that was probably about six months of different testing that I continued until I went on to the big round of testing where I did have to go to the lower mainland and go to their hospital and complete, I think, about four more medical tests and along with four more medical appointments with doctors. And so for those, you were, were you driving? Like it's like a four or five hour drive? It's a, yeah, that's exactly it. It's a five hour drive. It was winter time. So no, I flew down to the lower mainland. Um, they have a, a reimbursement program in our province and through the Yukon and it's called Low Derp and it's living organ donor expense reimbursement program. So for the testing phase, they would only supply myself to travel and bring me down for testing and accommodation and in, you know, meal reimbursement if I needed anything. And I had to go down for two full days of testing and appointments. And it was back to back, it was crammed in, it was exhausting, but I got it done. No problem, never had a lot of those tests before. So 
my anxiety was under control and it was actually really good. And meeting with the surgeon and the social worker and yeah, the nurse, and they just explain absolutely everything and make sure that mind-wise you're kind of ready to go forward and, and put your body through what it needs to go through. You got to make sure that you're in the right mental space. Absolutely. Yes. Then you got some news about Anthony. Yeah, I had my testing in early December. I asked at that point, the surgeon let me know, uh, or the physician, the transplant physician let me know that he actually wasn't ready for a transplant. His GFR, which is his kidney function test, wasn't low enough for him. He wasn't on dialysis. He was functioning okay. His function could go down at any time. It could be months. It could be years. And I had to actually really think about, okay, I've come this far. If I can't help him, I want to help somebody else because of all the testing I've been through. So if he's not ready, I don't know if I would be ready in a couple years. Let's just keep going with the process. They let me know there was a lot of people on the wait list for for all body parts. There was over 500 people on, on the transplant wait list at Vancouver alone, in our province alone. So, yeah, I'll... I'll Let's just keep going. and So all the testing was done. And then you had a one month, what you called or what you told me was a cooling off period. How would you describe that? Here in British Columbia, they give you a one month cooling off to see if you're really ready. You got to think about it. Do you really want to go through with this? I had zero hesitation. I knew I wanted to go through with it. Uh, I knew I wanted to help. I knew it was my time. So I actually set a timer on my calendar at home and just thought, okay, this is the date. She said, email me back on February 14th, Valentine's Day. I knew she started at 8 a.m. Email me when you're ready if you still want to proceed. So I set that timer, 8 a.m. came, and I sent her a message and I said, let's go. Let's keep going. That's the, the best news she can get first thing in the morning. Yeah, exactly. I was eager. If I was in Vancouver, I probably would have been in her office saying, let's go, let's keep going. Obviously, for this, you're going to have to take some time off from work. How do you get compensated for that in some way? Or how did that work? Yeah, I'm fortunate enough to work for a company. Well, because I'm in healthcare, I work for a health authority in British Columbia. And they give you eight weeks. Don't go into your sick bank, just a paid leave for your service, for donation. So every little step, I thought, this is just another reason why I need to keep going. How amazing is this opportunity? I get eight weeks off to help somebody and recover. I knew that generally it would be a six-week time that most people take, but eight weeks, I, I could totally do this. So, yeah, another another sign. Just keep going. Mm -hmm. They're taking away all the excuses that people might come <laughs> up with. Uh, no. Exactly. Yeah. I got an email in March saying we're going to be working on our OR slate in May and June. So expect a date around that time. So I let my work know this is we need to prepare for this. I'm going to be off work. 
I remember in the beginning, they told me this is a long process. I know in the States, it doesn't take this long, but they warned me in the beginning, it could be months, it could take up to a year, a year and a half for this process to keep going. I, th- I think um, our transplant program here, there's just not enough surgeons, not enough OR times. And it seemed like it, it took a long time. Because I started the process last June, and now I'm hearing in March, okay, now it's going to be May, June. So that's almost a year. My transplant coordinator sent me an email and said, just so you know, your original recipient, Anthony, is ready for transplant. Um, So you could donate to Anthony or you could donate to the wait list, and both are fantastic options. And she put a little smiley face And I remember shrieking at this email thinking, this is the whole reason I started this process was for Anthony. That's without a doubt. He's the whole reason. Let's donate to Anthony. So there it is, full circle, meant to be. I didn't know all the stuff that happened between my testing in December and what happened in March with that email, but yeah, he'd he'd not been doing well for a few months. So here I am ready to help. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. 
And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. Anthony and his wife did not know who I was. They had no idea. I was doing all the testing in the background. I found out in March. I went to their Facebook page again in March and saw a news clip that in February, the family had done a news clip pleading for a kidney for him. Because in December, just before Christmas, he crashed and ended up in the hospital with complete kidney failure. So he was in the hospital, I think, for Christmas and started home dialysis. And in February, they were pleading for this kidney. And now here I am in March, going to be able to help him like in a couple months. I was like, just hang on. Yep. They had no idea who I was. So the coordinator said to me, do you want to let them know? Do you have a relationship with them? And I said, I have no idea who they are. It's probably the best part of your job, giving them an operation date. So I'll let you do the call when we get our surgery date. That is part of the story that I find absolutely amazing. Oh, I mean, it was just meant to be. I mean, just me personally, I love giving people good news. And this would probably be the best news that Anthony and his wife and their family could get. And you had the opportunity to call them and give them the <laughs> surgery date. And were you kind of surprised that she gave you that option? Well, I guess because it was such a public plea on the news and through Facebook, maybe she thought that I had at some point messaged them. But I didn't because I didn't want to give them that hope if anywhere along the line the testing would say, you know what, we can't move on with you. You're not a match. Your test didn't come back that you were able to do this. So, yeah, I, I kept it a big secret. So, <laughs> And you let the nurse make that call because, as you said, you figured it's one of the best parts of her job. And I agree, that would be an amazing part of that job. But that's, I mean, that's just another sign of selflessness on your part. I mean, the whole process is... But just, you know, letting her do that and having that, that great phone call, that must have been an amazing phone call. I did let her know, please tell me what they say. Please email me back and let me know what they say. And she said, safe to say, they're grateful and excited. You were wondering if you would get the chance to meet them ahead of time. Well, how, did, how would that have worked or were you able to? Because I'm not close to them, I don't live close to them, I asked the coordinator, how does this work? I know who they are. They don't know who I am. I didn't want to cross any boundaries because I know sometimes anonymous donors, which they knew I was anonymous donor, I know sometimes there's no communication between them. So um, I was emailing her back and forth after 
we, I found out my surgery date. I started to think, Ooh, do I get to meet them in the hospital? How does that work? So I, we were emailing back and forth and she, I think she, I'm going to call it ghosted me. I felt like it was for a few hours. It was about 20 minutes and she, (laughs) she emailed me back and she said, well, I messaged them and here's his phone number and here's his email. Oh, another shriek moment. Oh my gosh, they're, they do want to meet me and know who I am. So I had to think about it for a day. What am I going to say? How do you, how do you contact people? And, and so I had to Google what, what to say. And I remember it just saying, make sure to sign whatever message you want to tell them, tell them about yourself and, and sign it your donor. Uh, makes it more personal. So I sent them a message just letting them know my age, my lifestyle, why I was doing this and signed it, your donor. And the next day, there it was, message back. So for two months, we messaged back and forth every day, just getting to know each other and setting up, okay, he, we're going to meet the day prior to the surgery down in Vancouver. So this was getting exciting. I, uh, his wife and I are a lot alike. We have the same sense of humor. We became fast friends. It was amazing. Anthony's the quiet guy in the background. <laughs> so <laughs> he just let us do our thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So at this point it's becoming, this is going to, this is going to happen. This is a real thing. So you started making trip arrangements. Yeah, so I knew, so the reimbursement program says you can have a companion come with you. They said plan to stay at the hospital two to three days. Check-in, I think, was at 5 or 6 a.m., so I had to go the day before. And my husband and I were trying to figure out, how are we going to do this? We have two pets at home that we have to call in a, a pet sitter or... He can come with me. We have the pet sitter, or how are we going to, you know, do I get uh, my mom, his mom? And then we thought, oh, Letitia, Letitia's pet sat for us before. And then we started to think about it. She's a nurse. Maybe because my husband could only get a couple days off, it would probably be more productive if he stayed home and took the days off when I came back from the hospital. So I thought, maybe we should ask Letitia. I mean, this program reimburses for a companion. She's been a really good friend. So we thought, let's ask Letitia. So I remember saying to her, I want to ask you a question at work. I wanted to ask her in person. And she's like, I can't wait. What are you, what are you talking about? Let me know. So over text, I sent her a message of asking her if she wanted to come with me. And I think she was kind of floored that, I'd even thought about her. She's my buddy. And I thought, oh, perfect private nurse. I get my own nurse while I'm doing my thing. And she said she felt honored. So here we go. We're going to plan this trip. And she started to get excited alongside me. I work with her every day. So we did the countdown. Here we are. We're going to go. May 29th was the day. Okay. So you were going to be there from Sunday through what do they estimate like Thursday? Yeah, they said Wednesday, but we booked a flight Thursday. So we flew down Sunday and we thought we'll come back the Thursday. And I knew Anthony was getting 
admitted on the Sunday. So perfect. We can, when we fly in, Letitia and I will grab something to eat. We'll have dinner and then we'll go up to the hospital and, and meet this beautiful family. So you showed up, you flew to Vancouver. Talk about the cab ride. Oh, this was another reason, another sign. We went to grab a cab and there was a, a gentleman that needed a special needs cab. So we we jumped into the cab and then he was there waiting. We're like, oh no, you take this cab. Um, we'll catch the next one. We were just excited to be in Vancouver. So he jumped in. So we grabbed the next cab and the cab driver was just asking us where we were going. And we told him by the hospital, we were staying at a hotel right there. And we were talking about Letitia being a nurse and how amazing she is. And she's so young. And then Letitia says to the cab driver, oh, well, Stacy's amazing. She's donating a kidney tomorrow. And I could see in the rearview mirror, his eyes were huge. And he welled up and he said, my son is a kidney recipient. And we all just... It was just another sign. I could not believe he was so thankful to me and he didn't know me. And he said his son received a kidney at age 17. Um, he understood the wait list and the pleading and everything that he had to go through to get his son what he needed to continue. I think his son was in complete kidney failure. So he got his son on the phone while we were in the cab ride and his son spoke to me and we just had a conversation and, you know, telling each other to take care of each other. And yeah, it was just a very emotional cab ride. We were, we were kind of floored that here we are, just keep going. Another sign. The most emotional cab ride ever. <laughs> yeah. He gave me a big hug when we got out and wished, wished me good luck. And yeah, it was pretty amazing. How, what are the chances? Confirmation from you, yes, I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we got off at the hotel. I was wearing my tra BC transplant shirt given to me by another coworker. And somebody approached me in the elevator and told me her dad is a kidney recipient and wished me luck. We had a, a short conversation on the elevator on the way up to our floors. And we just, we were floored thinking, this is, this is getting crazy. Everything's just aligning. You know, I had no time. I was completely nervous, but I had no time to be nervous. I was so excited to just help this family. Sunday night, you met with the family. Oh, so emotional. So emotional. I just remember thinking, oh, they look just like their pictures. <laughs> Got to meet uh, Bowled Over by Stephanie. She She's nine. She just had her 10th birthday, actually, just a couple days ago. And just so many hugs and tears from this family. And just super excited to, to be able to help. And I thought, wow, I'm really going through with this. This is amazing. Anthony, just such a big, quiet, amazing man. Just so brave and stoic. And I think he put on a brave face for his family, even after feeling so, so not great for, for months. The surgery was Monday. What happened Monday morning? We checked into pre-admission. Letitia came with me. She was my Sherpa. She was carrying all my bags for me. She was such a good nurse. And she actually came through the whole process with me right until they took me into the OR. 
sitting in pre-admission bed, really surreal, laying there with my gown on, getting ready to, here we are, taking blood tests, getting a visit from the nurses, letting me know what's going to happen. The urologist came by, the surgeon came by, the anesthetologist came by, everybody kind of telling you what to expect, what's going to happen. All I kept thinking was, oh, I get, I get to have such a nice sleep from my anesthesia. It's going to be a nice rest. Trying to think of the, all the positive. The anesthetist says to me, um, I'm, I'm nervous. I, I know I don't talk a lot when I'm nervous. So she was just going over her spiel. And then she says, do you have any questions? And I looked at her and I had eyelash extensions. <laughs> and I remember hearing that they tape your eyelids shut. So I, I just said, do you tape my eyes shut? Yeah. And I said, can you just be careful of my eyelash extensions? And Letitia started laughing. She's like, I can't believe you just asked that. <laughs> and the very stoic anesthetologist, she just kind of nodded and says, yes, we'll, we'll see what we can do. And that was my only question going into surgery. Well, that means they've done a, a complete job, right? If, you don't, <laughs> yeah. if that's the only question you have, it's kind of amusing. You know, you're going there to save someone's life. But as long as I can <laughs> keep my extensions, that will be, that's the important uh, thing, right? That's the important thing. Yeah, all good. Why do they tape your eyes shut during surgery anyway? I think she said something about debris making sure debris doesn't go in the eyes. I think the eyes, when you're under anesthetic, maybe they don't shut completely. So she just said, I remember hearing somebody in my, I have a donation support group on Facebook, somebody saying that they had an eyelash in their eye and and they showed a picture and it was it was not pretty. So I guess just just whatever protection and extra precaution. Just so everybody knows, post-surgery, how were your eyelashes? They were perfect. Not one eyelash out of place. That's a good surgeon That's and a good, good. good team of doctors. Absolutely. Yeah, she did her job. I was very happy. I remember waking up thinking, that was it? I feel fantastic. Just kind of being in the room and hearing the nurses and looking at the time. And I went in first thing in the morning. I think they said my surgery was going to be about two, two and a half hours. And I was groggy, but I looked at the time and it was 12.30. All I was worried about is that the surgeon said, you know, who do we call? Call Letitia. Letitia will call my mom and let her know everything's good. Everything went fine. So apparently that happened an hour or two before I kind of woke up. So that was great. So Letitia knew that I was in recovery and she was waiting to come see me. So in recovery, I remember just laying there watching people come and go, kind of falling asleep in and out, feeling fantastic, not having any pain. I didn't get out of recovery. I think it was 4.30. So I didn't know in the background. In the meantime, Letitia was talking with Anthony's wife thinking, why is she still in recovery? I hope everything's okay. Something's got to be wrong. Why is she? She's not up in her room. I was just down there waiting, watching and ended up in a private room. So I guess they were just waiting for my room to be ready. I was actually completely shocked of 
how fantastic I felt and no anxiety, just pure happiness. I felt like I had a new outlook on life. I was looking out at the trees thinking, I can't believe I just did this. This is me and my anxiety. We can conquer anything. This is amazing. And you didn't need any pain medication, anything like that? They have you hooked up to a pain pump and I didn't need it at all. The nurses were on top of my Tylenol. That's all I needed. I just remember being uncomfortable, kind of turning and rolling, using your kind of your upper body arm, your upper body strength and your arms to kind of move around a little bit, but no pain, absolutely nothing. They were just on top of everything. A little bit of nausea from the anesthetic and they were on top of that as well. And that was only one day of kind of the the first night with the nausea. Yeah, then the urologist came in the next morning and they looked at my pump machine, my pain pump machine, and they said, you haven't touched it. And I said, no, I don't need it. It's everything's fine. So on to recovery. Now you had, for this whole process, you had a few resources or a couple of resources that that helped you since you'd never done this before. And one, you mentioned the kidney donor group on Facebook. Were you pretty active in that, asking questions, stuff like that? Yeah, I found them in December after all my testing. I don't know why. I think I just punched up kidney donor just to see if there was anything and up came this support group. And it's worldwide. I think now there's over between nine and 10,000 people in this group, all pre and post process. So just watching that group and seeing the questions asked prior, people going through the process, people answering questions that have been through the process. And it was a huge resource for me. I think I'd posted a lot on there. And now I'm still on it and answer questions. People want to know what's common. Is this is this normal? Is this not normal? So yeah, this has been a huge, huge resource for me. And the other one, you said you had a coworker yes. who had also donated a kidney previously. Yeah. Um, I found out at my workplace where I currently am, a young medical therapist, she also donated a kidney young she was 31 when she donated i i don't think i was even thinking about it at 31 she was 5 years post op when i started talking to her i think i was only about a few months into the process when i found out that she had done it so she had let me know kind of what to expect you know my 2 day process that i have to go for testing in the lower mainland And the surgeon, she had, I think, the same surgeon, the same nurse coordinator. It it was pretty amazing to have her and just ask her. She checked on me through the whole process, too. She's fantastic texting me to see how I'm doing. That's great to know somebody like that, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You met up with Anthony and his family about six weeks after the surgery. What was that like? Oh my goodness. My mom my mom lives in the lower mainland. So I drove down while I was recovering and spent a couple days with my mom and my mom and I went and had lunch with Anthony, Tiffany and their daughter Stephanie. Anthony gets emotional when he sees me. I I feel bad he says um and I think it's normal for recipients uh to feel a little guilty 
He says he felt guilty. He, and I'm, this is what I wanted to do. This was my decision and just found out how fantastic he was doing. Uh, he had to go for weekly, weekly tests. I think it was bi-weekly. It was twice a week for a month and then it became weekly. And I think now he's monthly for his checkups, but his bi-weekly tests, he was going into that hospital and at the time, there was other donors waiting for their tests as well, meeting with the, the physicians. And they had so much faith in my kidney working for him that his numbers were just amazing. The kidney was working fantastic. He didn't need a catheter. Some people need dialysis. In addition, when receiving a kidney, he didn't need any of that. That was all done. So he just, he he's sailing through. He's just doing better, better and better all the time. Pretty amazing. It's interesting from a psychological standpoint that he would experience guilt at having been the recipient from you doing this. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I can kind of understand that, but I mean, it's not like no one was persuading you to do this. It's something you wanted to do, but yet from his standpoint, it's absolutely huge. It meant his life. Being able to be alive with his family, it's a huge thing. How can you ever repay someone for doing that? Ugh. There's no way. Yeah, it's. it was never a second thought. I never had any doubt. I remember going through my testing thinking, I'll be really disappointed if if something comes back and I can't do this. And he's just been doing amazing. Absolutely amazing. He's a big guy and He's probably almost a foot taller than me. And I remember the surgeon saying to me, even before I left the hospital, we'll be happy if his, if his creatinine was between, you know, 150 and 160. I think it had come down from like four, over 400 and between 150 and 160 for his size and for my kidney size would have been great. And now he's between 130 and 140. So he's just exceeded the expectations of what we all expected. So part of the criteria for determining if you were a good match was not measuring how tall you were with each other, obviously. (laughs) Obviously. They didn't ask that on the questionnaire. So (laughs) it was all good. Yeah. Now, there's one other side benefit from this, and that has to do with Letitia. What's she doing? Oh, so through the whole process, Letitia has just kept saying you know, even sitting at my bedside pre-surgery, wow, I this is really amazing. All the testing that you've been through and it's exciting and maybe maybe I should look into doing this. Maybe this is something I'm really thinking about this. Even post-surgery, being in the hospital, you know, she's she's being a nurse. She's such a fantastic nurse while I was in recovery and she kept saying, "You're not in any pain. You're I can't believe how you're sailing through this." You know, it's really making me think this is something I want to do as well. And she started to research. Letitia decided she's not going to be a kidney donor, but she's going to donate her liver. And she has a a donation date of November 13th coming up. And what, how does that work? They just, they take, they cut off part of her liver? Yeah, it's, your liver grows back, which I... I don't I didn't know that and she probably knew that being a nurse. 
And apparently they take 20 to 30% of your liver if you're donating to a child and 60 to 70% of your liver if you're donating to an adult. And she's donating to an adult. She is just amazing. She's amazing. There's a lot of people in my donor group also that are double donors. They've done both. So this is just incredible. I, I've been through this. Uh, maybe I want another eight weeks off work. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll think about donating a liver, but yeah, it's uh, just incredible. I just, she's so brave because she has that same anxiety as me. I'm so proud of her for, for just continuing this process as well. And, being inspired by my story and and doing it as well. And she met the family and, you know, Tiffany and Anthony, and she's just inspired by the whole process and and is doing her thing now. It sounds like um, you're such a big proponent of this and trying to, I mean, that's why you're on here to raise awareness and, you know, get people to donate. And we're going to have your contact information in the episode notes. So if people want to contact you, you know, you said that, one of your great resources was uh, that person who had donated before. And so you could ask all kinds of questions. Well, now you're that resource person. You know, if somebody's interested, they can get in touch with you and, and ask those same questions. Absolutely. What's your advice to anyone considering doing this? One of the good things is testing. They test you. They see how healthy you are just ensuring that you're healthy enough to do this. And a lot of people think that age is a barrier. People in the donor support group are in their 60s and 70s helping. So there is no age. If you're thinking about it at any age, there's no barrier. I think anybody would help a family member being able to do this. So if you think, oh, I'm too old, I'm not healthy enough, you know what? Just It's an incredible feeling to be able to help somebody. And I have a new family from it. And if I can inspire people and and let them know, I kind of sailed through. I'm very lucky. I know a lot of people haven't maybe been as lucky or, you know, have some issues, but take care of yourself. And it's actually another reason to take care of yourself. You know, it's not my body anymore pre-donation. I I remember thinking I got to eat healthy. Let's, it's not my kidney anymore. It's going to somebody else. So, yeah, you're just the caretaker for a little while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a great story. I love a happy story like this, especially when it has an amazing, happy ending. And you guys are, you and Anthony are both doing great post surgery. And uh, I hope this inspires more people to do the same thing. Absolutely. Yep. Reach out. I'm, I'd answer any questions. You want to see pictures of Anthony and his family and Stacy and Leticia? Of course you do. You can see everything in the episode notes at whatwasthatlike.com slash 157. If you like this episode, you might enjoy my conversation with Mark, which was way back in episode five. Mark is an attorney here in Florida, and he too decided to give one of his kidneys to someone he had never met. And even though that episode was from several years ago, I still get messages sometimes from people who hear it for the first time, and they tell me that it inspired them to be a donor. So that's why when I heard about Stacy, I thought, yeah, we definitely need to talk about this again. That older episode is called Mark Gave His Kidney to a Stranger, 
at whatwasthatlike.com slash zero five. I figured this is a good opportunity to let you know about my thought process with choosing particular episodes. I have a general policy that I don't usually cover a story that's primarily medical. I get a lot of stories sent to me where the person is basically like, I had this symptom and then this other symptom and I went in the hospital and I was diagnosed with this deadly disease or condition and they said I only had about six months to live, but here I am five years later, still alive. That type of scenario is something that people send me all the time. And the problem with it is that it's just too common. Now, I want to be careful to say this. I don't want to minimize or downplay what that person went through. I know experiencing a health issue, especially one that could potentially end your life early, is a really traumatizing experience, even life-changing. But for this podcast, I try to stick with stories that are really unusual. When you see a new episode of What Was That Like come up on your podcast app, I want you to feel like, okay, here we go. This is going to be something I don't get to hear on other podcasts. At least that's my goal. I want you to have high expectations for each episode, and then I want to deliver on that. So I hope that makes sense. Having said that, I do read everything that gets submitted, and I do make exceptions sometimes. There are occasionally stories that are mostly medical that I think are still unusual enough or beneficial or entertaining enough that it makes a good podcast episode. So if you have a story that you think would be a good fit, you can submit it at the website. Just go to whatwasthatlike.com and click on Submit Your Story. And here's a recent review read by an AI voice. If you leave a five-star review, maybe you'll hear it voiced by AI in a future episode. I recently discovered this podcast, and it's the perfect podcast. I enjoy the stories and find myself laughing and crying along with the guests. I love the uplifting nature and delivery of the stories, even when oftentimes they are such tragedies. But out of each tragedy, there always seems to be something good, something beautiful. This podcast is a great reminder of just how resilient we are. Thank you for presenting these stories in such a way that leaves us feeling better and wanting to do better. Graphics for this episode were created by Bob Bretz. Full episode transcription was created by James Lai. And now we close out the show like we do every time with a listener story. This is a five to 10 minute story sent in by a listener. If you have a short, interesting story, record it on your phone and email it to me, scott at whatwasthatlike.com. This week's listener story is about a couple who just wanted a short vacation, but one of them had a secret plan. Stay safe, and I'll see you back here in one week with a bonus episode. Hi, Scott. My name's Lindor, and I'm sending in a listener tale from Australia. So going back about 10 years, my partner and I have three kids. We had our one-year-old. Four and a half and five and a half. And everything was great. We just never really got much time away. So when the opportunity arose to have a whole weekend away, we jumped at it. We took the kids up to my parents. It was about a two and a half hour drive. And on the way, the youngest one vomited. And we didn't think too much of it. Cleaned her up and kept going. And we got to my parents and I let my mum know. She's like, no, it'll be fine. You go, you go, have fun. 
and we gave her an extra car seat and, and off we went. So we had a fantastic time. We did a tour of the jail, a nighttime tour, which was really great. And we were getting ready to order room service and my mum rang up and she just wanted to let us know that there had been more vomiting and more diarrhea. So uh, the youngest one had uh, the gastro tummy bug. Um, so we were like, oh dear. She's like, no, it's okay. She's handling it really well. We'll call you if there's any issues. You stay, you have fun, go for it. Uh, they had plenty of help. My dad was there and my sister was there to help out as well. So we're like, okay, all right, no worries. We'll keep going. And we ordered room service and I started to feel unwell. I didn't say anything at first and our food came and I started eating it and my partner was a little bit annoyed. He wanted a romantic dinner and I was just trying to put that sick feeling at bay, hoping that I was just hungry. Um, and I wasn't. It wasn't long before I myself had my head in the toilet uh, by the other end. And yeah, that was how I spent most of my Friday night. So unfortunately, we had to cancel. We had a nice tour booked for the next morning, a tunnels tour, and I spent the morning in bed. So my partner wandered around the town and made phone calls and generally amused himself and come in and check on me. And we were getting close to lunchtime. And I said to him, I said, look, I think, I think I'm starting to feel better. I'll be able to push through. I'll just lay in bed a little bit longer and I'll, I'll be up and moving and we'll continue what we're going to do. So he decided to go to a pub and have a beer. And whilst he was doing that, he was on the phone to my mum um, and the kids and having a chat with them. And next thing he hears a scream and I'm like, God, there's so much blood. And so he had to anxiously wait somebody to come back to the phone and say that our son, who is a bit too curious for his own good and stuck his finger in the fan just to see what happens. Um, and yeah, he's, the fan got smashed and there was blood everywhere and my dad and my sister were taking him to their local hospital. So uh, my partner hung out from my mum and he quickly rang me and he said, this is what's happened. Grab the stuff, let's go. So I'm in the hotel room just trying to chuck stuff in the bag. It won't go in. So I just gathered it up in my arms and I've got bags and pillows and everything hanging off me and I'm running through the hotel and he meets me in the lobby, grabs some stuff off me. We must have looked a rare sight. I'm running out of the hotel like that, jumped in the car and went to the hospital, met up with my dad and he's like, yep, they've got him in x-rays and they're just trying to find out if it's broken before they start stitching it up so uh thankfully it wasn't broken he got some stitches and it all it all seemed to settle down after that we went back to my mum and dad's and we had a, a bit of a discussion and he was handling it really well and the little one was coming better with a gastro and so we decided to push on through my mum was like no no we're gonna do this so off we went again and my partner wanted to go fishing and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could handle this right now. So we went and sat at the beach for a little bit and it was all good and I was I was coming better. I was feeling a lot better. So we went out to dinner and there was a Ferris wheel across the, uh, in the park. And so we jumped on this Ferris wheel and we got to the top and he got down on one knee and he proposed to me. 
Sorry. That was just, oh, yeah. And he said to me later that he would never have pushed through the weekend if he hadn't had that ultimate plan at the end. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was quite an eventful um, weekend. And six months later, we flew into state and we got married. So a nice little small wedding. And we had our second time away from the kids. And lo and behold, about 5.30 in the morning, the hotel fire alarm went off. And we all got pushed outside in our dressing gowns. And so we said some of this. We just packed up our stuff and went and had a nice uh, family holiday. 